this morning, if you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, we're going to continue on our series, Unstoppable. We've been in this series for, for a while now, studying the book of Acts, uh, how God has called the church to be unstoppable, but also called you and I to be unstoppable. You know, in our world today, when you mention the name of Jesus, it causes many people to get upset with you, right? It causes them to get upset. They, they don't like that. What, what is about that name that causes division? What is it about the name of Jesus that does that? Because it's interesting because you can use that name Jesus uh, flippantly or you can use it with the curse word and apparently there's no problem with that, right? People use it all the time. But when you say that name, Jesus, in a respectful way, it seems like there's difficulty. That name divides and, and, and people don't like the name of Jesus. Why? What is it about the name of Jesus what is it about the person of Jesus that caused division that people don't like? And as the world is saying, and the society is saying, is saying to you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, he said, you can use the name of Jesus inside of your walls, but once you get outside of these walls, don't reference that name. That's what they're saying to us. If you have your Bibles at Acts chapter 19, let's learn more about the name of Jesus and why that name causes so much division and uproar in our society today, but also back then. Paul was on a second missionary trip. He's on his missionary trip, and he comes to the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus at that time was the fourth largest city in the world at that time, a city that was known for its worship of Artemis, that goddess, was also known for its architecture. The libraries, the brothels, the sewer systems, the bathhouses, and the temples, and so forth. And so Paul is there declaring Jesus, and there are three episodes in Acts chapter 19 that we're going to look at. And what ties those three episodes together is the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. So if you have your outline, we must trust in the name of Jesus. Why? Why? First of all, because his name is the only name that brings salvation. And hopefully you know that and you agree and say, amen. His name is the only name that brings salvation. Amen? Amen. We know that. Well, what happened when Paul arrived in Ephesus, uh, there were 12 men. And they were disciples, but they were disciples of John the Baptist. And so Paul asked him, and says, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And these men had to be scratching their heads and said, Holy Spirit, we, we don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean the Holy Spirit? So we got some missing information, what is happening here. They responded to a message, but it was a message of repentance that John the Baptist was preaching. Look what Paul says in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. So John the Baptist was a forerunner to tell people about Jesus. He's going to be coming, repent, and all those things. But now that Jesus had come, their faith had to be made complete, right? And after their baptism, they had to be baptized in the name of Jesus, not only in the name of John the Baptist. It had to be changed and all that. So he goes on in verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. That's a very interesting story because the name of John the Baptist couldn't save them. That message that he was going could not save them. They needed to have the complete message. And they needed to receive that message, and the message was Jesus. He died on the cross for their sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And then they received the Holy Spirit is what he was saying. What we find in this passage, we find in many other passages, we find in the early church when a new group of believers uh, came into the church and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, there was evidence of the Holy Spirit work on them is what we find. We find it in Acts chapter 19. 
when these 12 came to, to, were followers of John the Baptist, and they came to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they spoke in tongues and prophesied and so forth. We find the same thing happening when the gospel came to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. The same thing happened. We find it also in Acts chapter 2 when the gospel came to the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. Same thing. The point here is this, that there's only one name, and that name is Jesus. We sing about it this morning. That name is Jesus. There's only one name that saves, right? And that name is Jesus Christ. There's not two names. There's only one name. And Jesus said it well when he opened up the invitation. He said, come all to me who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that message is open to all, to everyone it's talking about here. And yet the message is exclusive, that we can only come to God through Jesus. One way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that verse, Acts 4, 12, leaves no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room at all for any other way, any other religion, any other denomination, any other world religion, cult, leader, or person, or anyone. It says right here, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that name is only Jesus. Only through Jesus. We must call on his name is what the Bible says. But so many people have been introduced into a religious system, and maybe you as a child were baptized in that system. And I believe that your parents had good intentions, maybe to hoping that one day you would come to know Jesus Christ, your Savior. But our salvation is not what another person did for us, like our parents or grandparents, or not what we did for ourselves, but it's what Jesus did for us upon the cross, right? That he died for our sins, he was buried and raised on the third day. We accept what Jesus did for us upon that cross. That's the only way to heaven. That's it, it's through Jesus. What he did on the cross for you and I, paying for our sins. That is demonstrated then by our baptism in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus kind of opened that up when he gave us the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, where he says, Therefore, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. So there's salvation in no one else, only in Jesus' name, right? We all agree with that. I'm, I'm speaking to the choir. You guys all understand it. You agree with that. But that message is not popular in our culture today. Go out there and share that message. They're not going to like it. Our culture is saying because of multiculturalism, because of political correctness is what they're saying, that no one can claim any specific truth today. You can't do that. That it has to be open to all. That all roads will get you there. No matter what you take is going to get you to heaven, going to get you to the same place. But be respectful. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. And we must preach that message with respect, but we must preach that message. Not only inside of these walls, but outside of these walls, right? We got to stand on the rooftop and shout that message, boldly pro proclaim that message, but with respect to others. We have to be respectful, but we have to sh share that message. We can't change it. So we must trust in the name of Jesus, first of all, because this is the only name that brings salvation. And number two, because his name is power. His name is power. The name of Jesus brings power. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick 
and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. You see this power. There's, there's power against power. That Jesus, through the apostle Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched the apostle Paul, they would take them and take them to people who needed to be healed. And they'd be healed in the name of Jesus. Remember that. It's in the name of Jesus. Paul didn't have the power. It was through Jesus they were healed. Jesus has the power, right? But you see these other guys we're going to read about here in a moment. There was these seven sons of Sceva. They were Jewish men, but they also were exorcists. And they thought, hey, I want to get on this. And the Bible doesn't tell us in the passage what the motivation was. But one thing we do know, they did not know Jesus. They didn't know Jesus, but yet they wanted to use his name. And, but they seemed like they wanted to get maybe in the spotlight, get the attention or something like that. Or maybe there was financial motives, we don't know. But it seems like from the passage, they just want to get on the action, what was going on. Let's read verse 14 and 15. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And they were trying to cast out this evil spirit out of, out of a man in the name of Jesus without knowing who Jesus was. Can you imagine that? I'm going to cast them out in the name of Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. But that's who Paul preaches about, so I'm going to do it. That, that's what they were doing. So you have to kind of visualize this in your mind, what's going on. The evil spirit answers these guys because they're trying to be something. These guys are trying to be something. And the evil spirit kind of says, Jesus I know. I know about Paul, but who are you? Who are you to claim this? What are you doing here? It's interesting. They knew Jesus. These fallen angels and demons, they knew Jesus. They knew about Paul. They recognized what he was doing, but they said, who are you? What are you doing? How can you do this? Who are you? Where's your power? You don't have any power to do this. It goes on in verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. There were seven men against this one man that was possessed with this evil spirit. He beat them all up. He beat them up and they all ran out. What's the message though here? What, what is it trying to get across? That the name of Jesus cannot be manipulated. It has to be honored. It can't be used. Even today, people will try to get what they want by claiming the name of Jesus. Just throwing his name out there, trying to get what they want. They don't follow him. They're not a follower of Jesus. They're not a believer in Jesus. But they will use and invoke that name just to get what they want. We must honor the name of Jesus. It's power against power what we see here. And of course, Jesus has greater power than anyone, right? He has greater power. And the man with the evil spirit beat up these seven guys. So you see that man's power, seven men against this one person possessed by a demon couldn't beat him up. And so they're trying to cast out the evil spirit. And even though they we, you did it in the name of Jesus, they didn't know Jesus. So they didn't have Jesus' power in doing this. They were doing it in their own power. And seven men up against this one man with evil spirit, he beat them all up. And now what's going to happen? What's going to happen after that? The word gets out about this. Well, the word spreads throughout the city. And look what happens. Verses 17 through 20. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord was held in high honor. Amen? Because of that. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 
In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power, is what the Bible says. The name of Jesus. We can trust the name of Jesus because his name is power. Hopefully you understand it. In the name of Jesus, there's power. And in that situation, God used the name of Jesus, even in this situation, to bring people to himself. And his name was held in high honor when they did that, to the extent that people became followers of Jesus. And when they did, the Bible says, they had their magic books and stuff, their sorcery books they all had and stuff. And that was important to them before they came to Christ. They used that before they came to Christ, but no longer it's important to them because they know Jesus, right? So some of the things they spent a lot of money for, the Bible lets us know, they spent an awful lot of money. Now they have little value. They have little value because now they have a life with Christ. They don't fit with that life that they have with Jesus. They don't fit in with that life. They don't need that stuff anymore. So they brought them and they put them in this pile is what the Bible says. The amazing thing about this passage, it gives us the cost of all that they threw in that pile. They said it was 50,000 drachmas. Now one drachma was worth one silver coin. One silver coin was a day's wage. So it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, what they brought. Think about that. 50,000 pieces of silver. And I don't, I don't really get it. I don't really understand what's going on here. Why would you tabulate the cost of stuff you're going to throw in a fire? Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't really know, but I have an idea. They're bringing this stuff that, that they spent a lot of money on, and perhaps we don't have uh, magic books and stuff, but maybe we have Ouija boards, and we have stuff like that, and maybe we bring them to God, and that was part of our life before we came to Jesus, that they don't need to be a part of our life anymore, Right? We don't need to have that anymore. It doesn't fit anymore in our life with Jesus. We had that stuff before. We kind of need to get rid of it because the Bible says we are a new creation in Christ, that the old is gone, the new has come. So we don't want to drag that old stuff in our life with Christ. We don't need that stuff. So they're bringing this stuff, their magic books and so forth, and, and they're bringing it. And I kind of have this imagery in my mind. As they're bringing this stuff, there's a fire back here that's burning the fire. And the people start bringing their magic books, their sorcery books, all kind of books, and all this other stuff that they do with their sorcery. And they're bringing it. Maybe they have tables set up in front, and they have people at the tables to record what they're bringing. And so somebody brings, hey, what, what do you have to bring? And they say, oh, I, I've got my sorcery books and stuff. Oh, what's the cost of those? What is the replacement cost for those? And maybe they write them down in the book. It's like you throw it in the fire. Next person comes, they do the same thing. And they're recording all this. And he says, when they recorded all this stuff, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And they threw it all in the fire. They burned it up. What was worth 50,000 pieces of silver? Why keep track of the cost? Why would they do that? Maybe it was just for us who were interested in dollars and stuff that some of us, we just like the cost of stuff like that. Well, maybe it was important to us to know what they threw in the fire cost them something. It cost them to follow Christ. Maybe it was for that. And maybe it was for some of us today who are saying, you know, I paid a lot of money for that. And I like to recover the cost of some of that. So maybe I'll have a garage sale and I'll sell it at a garage sale and I give half the money to the church. You know, that stuff that costs you so much that shouldn't be involved in your life after Christ. You say, I've got to get rid of it. It's absolutely worthless to God, to ourselves, to anyone else. And the only place for that is the fire. Let's not give what, say, hey, I, it doesn't need to be in my house. Why would we want to share that and spread that to someone else, even if they're going to pay us for it? Why would we do that? And so I don't know what you have around your house that shouldn't be in your life as your walk with Christ that say it shouldn't be there. Now you know what to do with it, right? You know what to do with it. 
you know, I thought would be really cool is, is maybe next week we have a dumpster out here on the side and you could bring whatever that is and, and you could drive by. You don't have to get out of your car and you just throw it out there in the dumpster right there and you just take off. I'm not going to tell you what that should be. I don't want to be legalistic, but you know the stuff that you shouldn't have in your life, that you're following Christ. All those things you had before Christ that seemed all right. Say, now I'm following Jesus. I don't need those there. The next week, we're not going to have a dumpster. We're not going to have anything like that. We don't need to have that because you can do that yourself. You can get rid of those things yourself. Don't drag those things before Christ that you had into your life with Christ. Let them go. Throw them in the burn pile. Get rid of them. Don't try to give them to other people so now they're into that stuff. Get rid of them. Put them where they need to go and move on in your life. His name is power. It's power versus power, what we see. And Jesus' amazing power. What we see in the world today, you see the power of the wicked one capturing the lives, uh, capturing the lives of people with all kinds of wicked things he has them doing. And what you see is God intervene in powerful ways in people's life to rescue them, save them, don't you? You see the wicked one get people to, trapped in greed and in wrong motives, in addictions, in all kinds of things. And he has them in bondage. And then here comes God in his miraculous power, who's stronger than the evil one, comes and he rescues them from those things. He releases them, frees them, and saves them. We see that happening all through the world. We see that. That's what God did to each one of us. Whether you realize or not, we were in bondage. The enemy had us. We were in bondage and captive. And Jesus came and freed us and rescued us and saved us. And that's what he does. Now, I read an article a while back. It was it was a long time ago, a few years ago, uh, not 20 years ago, but probably seven, eight years ago, something like that, read an article. And one of the amazing things they said that is happening, the stories from around the world, there's, there's Muslims in large numbers that are coming to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're not coming to Jesus Christ as their Savior through a track or, or through a preacher like myself, but from a dream. Imagine that, a dream. It's amazing. Maybe they said the best way of of evangelizing Muslims today is telling them, hey, just go take a nap and everything will be all right. It's, but because God is revealing himself to them in, in their dreams. And it seems they, the same common denominator they're having in their dream is they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing Jesus in their, in their dream. He's presenting himself through the, the way the Bible describes him. And they wake up from those dreams, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they're walking away from Islam. And I don't know what you feel about that. When I read that, I thought, man, I'd really understand it. But I do understand that God is powerful. And God could work wherever he wants to work, right? And if he wants to work through dreams and reaching uh, Muslims, praise God for that. And they're walking away from Islam. Praise God for that. And they're accepting Jesus Christ. So we allow God to do whatever he wants to do. But that's what I heard what is happening. Through dreams, God is reaching them. We also must trust in the name of Jesus because his name endures. Jesus' name endures. We're going to read Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41. So bear with me, but listen to the details. I can't get into all the details this morning, but listen to the details, what is happening in the story, so you can grab hold of the story. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way is Christianity. The way is through Jesus. There became a great disturbance about Christianity through Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income for this business. And, and, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. 
He says that man-made gods are not gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet, not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples or blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, their courts are open and there are pro councils. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After you had said this, he dismissed the assembly. That's a lot, Dr. Rita. I usually don't read that much of a passage, but I wanted you to get this story in. So what was happening here, they were worshiping the goddess Artemis. And there was a silversmith by the name of Demetrius who made these objects of, of gods, of, of worship for them. He made these little gods and called them gods. Made these little images and called them gods. And so he gathered all these craftsmen together who probably took his model and they probably made images similar to that with different materials. So they're all making these little images and they're calling them gods. So Artemis says that Paul is going around the whole countryside and what he's doing, he's telling people that the gods that we make with our hands are not gods at all. He's cutting into our pocketbook. He's cutting into our income. That's what he's talking about here. It's, it's hitting our pocketbook and we don't like it. Then he says, what about Artemis, the goddess that we worship? What about the temple that was built? Uh, the Artemis of the Ephesians. Aren't these things important to us? Don't we hold them in high standards in our lives? Paul is going to destroy all this. Don't you understand what he's doing is what he's saying. He will discredit the goddess Artemis and the temple will come to nothing. So Demetrius is trying to stir up trouble in the city with the people. And he's getting them all riled up and they're all upset. So Alexander, a Jew, gets up and he tries to calm down the people, but he's kind of booted off the scene because they realize he's a Jew. And they don't want to hear from a Jew. They don't want them telling them what to do. After that, they chanted, the Bible says, for two hours, think about this, for two hours, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. I can't even say it twice. But they said it for two hours. Shouting the top of the lungs. Can you imagine? Say, we're going to stay after. We're just going to shout that. Two hours, they said that. And the city clerk got up, and he kind of quieted the crowd down, said, you need to be quiet. We're on the brink of being in a lot of trouble because the Roman emperor doesn't like 
rioting, and we're awfully close to rioting. We don't have a good reason to riot. We don't have a reason here. So what he does, he recommends that the people leave here and they go home. He says, this meeting's over. You're dismissed. Go home. And they did. They left. They left the meeting. The commotion was gone. That easy. And what we find here, that Jesus' name will endure. Do you realize that? Jesus' name will endure. His name will not be manipulated. They were trying to change that. His name has been for 21 centuries, has not been silenced at all. Right now, I want to put a picture up here of the Temple of Artemis. It was uh, from a great uh, ruins of a great city of Ephesus. It was a beautiful temple when they had built it and everything. Uh, Demetrius said, if you look at that temple, it's kind of all broken down now and everything. But Demetrius said, if, if Paul is not stopped, the temple to Artemis would be discredited and, and come to nothing. It would lose, he said, its divine majesty. If you look at that temple, you say it's kind of lost its divine majesty, wouldn't you say? That they shouted for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But for now, for 1,500 years, there's been silence. Nothing's been heard. Nothing. Nothing at all about that temple. It's, it's gone. It's nothing. No one's going there. Nothing. You're going to see the artifacts. That's it. But the name of Jesus goes on and on. It's still heard today. Amen? The name of Jesus is still heard today. They try to silence the name of Jesus, but they can't silence him. Matter of fact, God even said after the passage in Ephesians, where, I mean, he says, when, when Jesus humbled himself, he became a servant. I mean, it was in Philippians, rather. He became a servant, even to death, even death on a cross. And he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, he says this, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Bible says there. The temple, that temple lies in waste. But the name of Jesus goes from age to age to age, will never stop for all of eternity, will endure is what we see through all eternity. And I've seen it over the years that the name of Jesus has brought marriages together. I've seen it over the years that the name of Jesus has rescued people from their hurts, from their addictions, from wrong motives, from broken relationships, from hang up of lies, that we see the name of Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not a program. It's not a church. It's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that healed them from the inside out, that made a difference in people's life, that rescued people. It's the name of Jesus that saves people, not you or I. It's like a cross. It's, it cuts through the fog of people's lives when they hear about Jesus and him dying on the cross and has brought life and hope when nothing else could. It's Jesus that does that. Not a church, not a cult, not a world, not a religion, not a denomination. It's the name of Jesus that changed people's lives. He's the one that does it, not us. He's the one that does it. His power, his name will endure, the Bible says. You know, in the first century, that time, that time in Ephesus, when this was written, they said one out of 360 people that lived on, on the earth claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? One out of 360 people. They couldn't silence the apostles. They couldn't delete the name of Jesus 2,000 years ago. They couldn't delete his name. And now, 21 centuries later, they say that one out of every seven claims, and I know I say claim, claim they have a relationship and worship of Jesus Christ. And that only shows you that it's safe to say that his name will endure, right? That his name will carry on. 
that the name of Jesus will not be silenced, will not be deleted. We don't have to worry about, oh, they're going to stop Jesus. They will never stop Jesus' name. All other names, all other religions, those false religions, will cease one day, but the name of Jesus will carry it on through the ages, through eternity, 5,000 years, 20,000, 100,000 years, a million years from now. The name of Jesus will, be still, will still be worshiping his name. We'll still be lifting up his name. And we share the name of Jesus, don't we? We share it. We're proud to share it. Hopefully you're proud to share it. We trust in the name of Jesus. Do you trust in the name of Jesus? Do you trust him? Hopefully you trust him. We shout from the rooftops that Jesus is the only way, that his name brings salvation. No other name, no other religion. The Bible doesn't bring salvation alone. It's through Jesus, the power of Jesus, what he did on the cross for us, right? It's Jesus. We just can't say God saves. No, Jesus saves us through what he did for us on that cross that he died on the cross, was buried and raised on the third day. It's through Jesus Christ we come to God. Through that blood-stained cross. That's the only way we have a relationship with God is through Jesus. It's what he did. And if you were here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior yet, he's more than that name. Realize that. He's a person. And Jesus loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. But because of our sins, it separates us from God. And there's no way that you and I can approach a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. So Jesus came from heaven, left the glory of heaven, and came down to earth, became a man, and went to the cross. And all of our sins were placed upon Jesus. All of our sins, all those things that we've done that separate us from God. And he died. He was our substitute. He paid our penalty upon the cross. So that now you and I can have a relationship with God through Jesus by putting our faith and trust in him. If you've never done that today, come to him. It's by, by grace we are saved through faith, the Bible says. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. By simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I accept him as my savior. I trust him as my savior. Please do that. All of us who know Jesus as our savior, realize that his name is the only name that brings salvation. Amen? That his name is power. Amen? That his name endures, the Bible said. It endures. That one day, the Bible says, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. But let's not wait till that happens, that one day that happens. Let's do that today, all of you and you and I. Let's worship the name of Jesus. Let's lift up our hearts and minds in our worship of him because he's worthy of our worship because he's the only name the only name that people are saved. He's the only one that can change us from the inside out. Nothing, nobody else can do that. But Jesus changes from the inside out, and that's what matters. He's the one that saves. He's the one that makes an eternal difference in our life. All the other people are going to help us is temporary. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to make an eternal difference in your life. Change you from the inside out, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. And it's through Jesus. His name, there's power. He's got the power to change us, our direction going away from him, change our direction to be with him, change our eternity. Jesus has the power. He has the power to help us where we are in our life today, no matter what we're going through, health-wise, sickness, no matter what it is. He has the power to overcome and help us and guide us. No matter what we have going on, Jesus is a big God with all power. He can help us through our problems, and his name will endure. You don't have to worry about, well, maybe in 10 years, Jesus is going to change his mind. It's not going to happen. Maybe in 100 years, he won't be here. He will be here. He will be here. He'll endure. He'll never cease to exist. He will endure through all of eternity. And we know that. Nothing else can we say that about except Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. 
We praise you so much for the name of Jesus. We praise you for the person of Jesus. We praise you for Jesus' death on the cross, that he was buried and raised on the third day. And Lord, we proclaim Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the name of Jesus because there's power in that name. Resurrection power. Salvation power. And Lord, we know that name will endure, will never stop, will never cease. Will endure through the ages, through eternity. And Lord, we look and our hope is one day, we know one day that when we leave this life, we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to come to him. We're going to be with him for all of eternity. And we praise you, God, for that. We thank you so much for the truth we find through the scriptures. I pray for everyone this morning who are, who are here this morning or are listening online, that if they don't know Jesus Christ, their Savior, today they would realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And they would understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and they put their faith and trusted him. I pray for their soul, Lord. Let them turn to you. I pray for all of us that know Jesus as our Savior, Lord, that we would realize there's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus. And we understand that way. And his way is power, his name is power, and his name endures. And if we know all these truths about Jesus, and they're all true, let's be diligent to be on ministry, to share that name with others so they might hear it, so they too may have salvation, they too may have that power in their life, and they too may realize and live with it, understand that Jesus will be here for all of eternity. He'll endure. Help us, Lord, to be on mission for you. Help us to be on mission in sharing that wonderful, great name of Jesus uh, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family, to wherever we go, Lord, that would be on mission, looking for that opportunity to be on mission for Jesus. Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.